This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of two, and soon to be three, and a practicing physician. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to episode four. This week we are talking childcare and what we wish we'd known when we started out many, many years ago. Five years ago for Sarah and about 10 years ago for me, Laura, uh, which I realized the other day was about when you started blogging, wasn't it, Sarah? When did, when did you start your blog, The Shoebox? I started my blog, oh my gosh, I guess in 2004. So it's been like 13 years at this point, which is basically like dinosaur age for any kind of a blog. And in fact, I don't even like the word blog anymore. Like I feel like saying blog itself sounds dated, but um, yeah, I've been doing it for a really long time. It's just been such like a creative outlet for me. I started it in med school when I felt like I really needed somewhere to kind of vent, of course, never about specific patients, but just about my experiences as a medical student. And somehow I just, I don't really, I'm not like arty. Like I don't do crafts. I can't knit. My sister's an amazing knitter, but I can't do it. And for me, this was like my creative outlet, something that I could do that kind of kept my mind busy and away from kind of the structured thinking of medicine. And I always loved writing. So just kind of stuck with it. What about you? Well, I, I started a little later than you, but you must have been among the first bloggers then out there. <laughs> I was pretty early. I was pretty early. Yeah. Actually, I once went to a blogging conference and I think I won some prize for being like the For being the earliest blog. adopter. <laughs> I mean, how did, you, how did you even know that this was a thing people were doing? One of my best friends from college actually had one and I think I copied hers. <laughs> and then hers is long gone now, but it just stuck with me. So yes, I was I was early. I was definitely yeah. early. I love how it's evolved over the the years. I mean, the the readership, the topics you cover. I, I mean, was it hard to stick with it at the beginning or I mean, have no. you No. No. <laughs> I like loved it. Like all of a sudden I was like, "Oh, writing this daily vent totally resonates with my personality." 
you know, both of us have that little bit of tendency towards streaks. We'll have to talk about that on a different episode. But, you know, it just it was it was easily a habit that I incorporated and became like a real like kind of healthy way for me to to vent and express myself during residency when I didn't feel like I had that outlet elsewhere. Did so you know? I'm really curious if you if you ever read your old posts from like the beginning. Do you do you see that you Oh my were- god. So embarrassing, but yes, I read my blog. I read my own blog like plenty. So first of all, I mean, now that I have kids, I love using it as sort of like an adjunct photo album. And I will go back like right now. The other day, I was going back and looking at posts from when Annabelle and Cameron were little babies, sort of trying to remind myself of what it's like. And I guess it's a little, it's sort of creepy, but it's like you know, seeing your own perspective on something can be incredibly enlightening because you actually don't remember how you felt. So that's been really, really interesting. And was it called the shoebox at the beginning? Because you didn't become (laughs) Sarah Hart Unger until later in the the blogging process. (laughs) That's very, yes, that's, that's a journalistic observation. It actually had a, it had a horrible name. And again, remember, this is like the early days of blogging. Like people were live journaling and I was also 20 four years old and it was called lost and all alone Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. because it, it was actually supposed to start out as just like a month-long thing and the reason I was lost and all alone wasn't that I was really lost and all alone I mean I was already Josh was my boyfriend like life was not bad but I had been put in this pediatrics rotation out in coastal no it was like central North Carolina in a very small town where I knew no one living in this sort of random house with with people I didn't know so I felt very isolated during that time and that's actually when the blog was born so if you go back to my first posts I'm talking all about my experiences there and you know it is a little embarrassing because your young eyes you know I say things back then that when I look at them now sort of make me cringe but hey, that's what 24-year-old me was experiencing. So I'm not taking it down. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. That's life. Yeah. Well, I, I have owned lauravandercam.com since 2002, but I never became very focused on maintaining it and putting stuff up there until about, I would say, 2008, 2009. Uh, and it was around the time I got the contract to write 168 hours. And I recognized that having a home on the internet and blogging would be a good way for people to reach me, to get to know me, to build a platform. We always talk about that in the author world about how people um, know you and know the topics you write about. So I I really began, began writing for that. And it was not always easy to keep going at the beginning, partly because I write for a living. And so the idea of writing these posts for free was always like, wait a minute, why am I doing this? But over time, it's it's the only thing I've actually stuck with of all my writing gigs. And it's because I have such complete freedom to write about whatever I want to a degree, though, because now I know so much of who my audience is that there's some things I'm I'm not going to go into and and all that. And I've certainly learned my lesson with the few political remote posts that have happened over the years that a lot of people either have different opinions or they you know argue with each other, and it's just not the kind of blog I want to have. So now you know it's it's pretty much my life and time management and productivity and a few you know current events related to that. But it's so addictive. Like once you actually have an audience and you know that you're not writing for no one, it becomes a lot easier to stick with it. At least that's what I've found. I think you def- it definitely comes across in your writings that you enjoy doing it, um, whether that's just because it's sort of a habit for you. But I did wonder about that because it's not really a break <laughs> the way no, it is for me. It is not a break. But on the other hand, it's it, it helps me. I mean, I think it helps hone my ideas because I can see what people react to. So if I get a lot of reactions to a certain topic, I know that I might be on to something. It certainly has helped me write tighter and write faster. And now I sort of take that for granted that if somebody told me to write 500 words on a topic and turn it into them in an hour, I could completely do that. And I'm not sure that's a skill I had starting off with blogging. So I think the ability to write tightly, 
in a first draft that you only review once or twice. It's just not the way I sort of learned to write. And so it's, it's been helpful from that perspective, especially as, as the digital world world of publishing grows. But yeah, no, it's been fun. So we, we both, that's how we kind of found each other. I think is, is through our blogs. Definitely. I think I've been reading yours since shortly after 168 hours came out. Yeah. So we've, that's kind of, we've learned each other's lives through there. And one of the topics, I mean, bringing us to our main segment for today, one of the topics that both of us have written about is childcare and our various iterations of this over the years. So Sarah, like looking back to Sarah of Annabelle is born 20... Annabelle was born in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. And so after she's born in spring of 2012, I mean, what would you have wanted Sarah of 2017 to have Sarah of 2012 know about childcare? Well, I don't know. I think our experiences are a little different there because I actually, I had, I, I have no regrets. I think I did things really well back then. And I look upon those days fondly, although I will say that what worked for Sarah in 2012 would not work for Sarah in 2017. So it's not like I feel like, oh, I did it wrong, but I've had sort of two different experiences. And, you know, who knows? Things may evolve into a third situation someday that looks nothing like what I'm doing now. But I will kind of take you guys back, and then I want to hear you too because it'll be very interesting going from, you know, one kid in New York to four kids in suburbia. But for us, we lived in Durham, North Carolina. My husband and I were both in medical training. And we really didn't have a whole lot of choices. A nanny is something we could have considered, but would have required borrowing significant amounts of money because, you know, cost of a nanny for one child isn't cost effective compared to even a fairly pricey daycare. You know, that was a, a significant factor for us back then. Things definitely change when you have more kids and we'll talk about later. But we were fortunate enough to have a university-affiliated daycare that we used back when we were at Duke. You know, I did look at several centers. There were, there were actually several really nice centers in the area. And the one at Duke was excellent because it was open from, I believe, 6.30 or 7 in the morning. It had nice, adequate hours. And then it closed at about 6. And as a fellow in endocrinology, thankfully, and I had sort of done this on purpose, I had to work long hours, like I had many weeks that were 50, 60 hours total, if you include weekends, and I'll also talk about how we did those, but I had fairly predictable hours, and my time at home at night was just more answering phone calls than it was the need to go in, so I didn't need necessarily dedicated care for that time. So we... Sorry, I just want to ask a question here, because I I think a lot of our listeners may be wondering about this. When you say it was like a really good daycare... I mean, what do you find oh, yes. makes a good daycare? I, I mean, well, there. I mean, the first thing is word of mouth. So you talk to everyone in the area. You find out, you know, are there other people with older kids who have been through this for a while, whose opinions you trust, are aware of how this daycare runs? So I think word of mouth is probably the biggest thing that helped, you know, m- make this choice. There's actually going there and sort of seeing the vibe of the place. Is it clean? Do the kids look engaged? Are there screens? Because for me, that was like in a daycare, like a de- like a deal breaker. Then there are, there are ratings. So there are actually NAEYC, I believe. There's a certification agency that rates daycares and they can have up to five stars so that you can actually get a little bit of an objective viewpoint. There's ratio of providers to children, which was really important, especially for the infants. And I believe that, you know, most of the really good ones go down to as low as like three to one or four to one. So looking at all of those things and sort of combining that with the general reputation, uh, that helped me feel really confident that we were putting Annabelle in a great place. My memories of that time, I know people kind of talk about the slog of getting your kids ready, but when there's only one of them and they're little, it's not that hard. (laughs) It was fine. I like load her up in the stroller. We drove. It was on the way to work, did the drop off, prep the bottles. Um, (laughs) it, it was, it was great. So for that time in life, it worked wonderful. And I, I have nothing against it. To the point where after we moved here, even after we did hire a nanny, and Laura and I will both talk about that a little bit later, we put her in daycare for half the day because I wanted her to have that busy, multiple kid atmosphere that she was used to. I actually think it's really healthy for kids, like a wonderful thing. And I I don't understand 
why some people talk about it like it's baby jail or oh, some baby sort of- prison. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't get that either. I I think that there's a lot of lingering bad feelings about, well, first the idea of mothers working, right? So then if children need to be in childcare, that must be a bad thing too, because we can't in any way sanction the idea of mothers working. I mean, this is, this is honestly the thought process. And I remember hearing this and I'm of course bringing my oldest, I mean, we'll both get talk to our journeys here, but I mean, just covering the daycare topic here, I would bring my oldest child to daycare. We did daycare when we lived in New York, um, because again, we just had one. There was a high quality center that was a quarter mile from our apartment. I had put my name in when I was roughly four months pregnant. So I had a spot when he was four months old because, you know, that's. Oh, I got to interject here and say that I put my name in the day I had a positive pregnancy test. And I, I had to because you it actually to. did have a waiting it, list. You, that it long, had a waiting so. list. And, and so <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, that, is, that is pro tip here <laughs> that if you think you're going to want to go the daycare route, get your name on the list as soon as you know you are pregnant. You can always not do it, right? You can always not use the center. You can cancel whatever. But having that as an option is going to be a lot better than saying, oh, well, you know, maybe when I'm on maternity leave, I'll think about it. I mean, no, you got to think about this ahead of time. But yeah, we had a really good time. We became best of friends with these other families that we knew from the time that my son was four months old and he stayed in that daycare until he was four. Um, Even though, again, we hired a nanny as well when he was about two years old. He stayed in it more part-time as preschool. We got to be such good friends with the parents because they were all like us. as all dual-income couples um, who had kids the exact same age. So we'd all go to birthday parties. We'd hang out. It was, it was really awesome. But I think that some people really just don't like the daycare concept. You know, there are for whatever reason, I had recommended my daycare center to a number of people. And I had a few come afterwards and be like, well, the staff looks tired. I could never put my kids in a place like that. I'm like, okay, A, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. Let's see how you look at four o'clock in the afternoon dealing with uh, a toddler (laughs) all day. But the truth is they didn't want to go back to work. And so it becomes easier to use another excuse, say, oh, I couldn't find a good childcare option rather than admit like, you don't want to go back to work and that's fine. Like make that choice, but you know, don't make it be about, uh, something else. (laughs) Well, and this is a little controversial, but some people tend to make that argument about their kid. So I think it's a perfectly valid argument when it comes to making it for yourself. Like if I had chosen, if I had that opportunity at that time or whatever, that I wanted those years for myself with my baby, then I think that's perfectly valid for me. But the argument that like somehow my child will suffer or not have the same opportunities or not create a normal bond or something, I hear that a lot. And there's really no scientific evidence whatsoever to support that. So more power to mothers who want to stay home with their kids. I actually think there's nothing wrong with that. And it's wonderful. And if you want to have that experience, but I think we have to be careful about who we say we're doing it for. Yeah. Or even using lines that um, in many cases aren't supported by the facts, like, you know, that my child will be with someone else for the majority of his waking hours. I actually ran the numbers on this and it wasn't true. Working full time, having my kid at daycare, I was still with the kid more hours, more waking hours <laughs> than than daycare was. and And that's just And again, it's one of these stories people tell because they're unhappy with. Now, I will say daycare is not perfect. One of the reasons we wound up later hiring a nanny, and we will both talk about this, is the illness factor. Even the best run daycare, kids get sick a lot when they're little. They're developing their immune systems. Over time, it'll be great. Like by the time they go to kindergarten, they'll have everything out of their system. They'll never get sick again. Yeah. I actually don't know if there's literature on that, but I've had the same experience. Like... Annabelle, who had that daycare, seems to be more immune now than I remember, like, at, or even by age three than Cameron was. So that's interesting. I'll have but, to, but I'll the have problem, to delve into of course, that. Is that you have to get through all those illnesses. And I know that the first year where my son was in daycare, I probably would have missed about five weeks of work if I had been, you know, in a normal job. And and that would have been really hard to handle. And and even if you know, I'd been splitting it with my husband, each of us taking, you know, two weeks or so. It's a lot of time. I mean, it would have eaten up any sort of vacation and sick and personal days we would have had. 
And so, especially if you're trying to figure out, well, how am I going to combine work and life? Like it's going to be hard to do. And then you hit these, you know, constant, like I can't bring my kid back to daycare because he's got a slight fever. And so we got to wait 24. It can really mess with your ability to keep your foot on the gas with your career. And and, and then there's also, I mean, I think you, you, and if your daycare isn't a good place, which many people don't have great choices about what they want to do, because even high quality daycare may be less expensive than a nanny, but it can still be very expensive. And so some people are relying on on less high quality places. And and so then that's hard to be able to relieve your kid there uh, either. But uh, so why did you decide to go the nanny route then after moving to Miami? I mean, obviously you both got jobs, so there's that. Yes. So there was that. We did actually, you know, we would have been fine with a daycare to start with because what I was going to point out is that you kind of need, if you have a career that's not terribly flexible and you know that you really kind of have to plan to to assume your child is going to get sick and monthly is normal. So if your kid is out of daycare for three to four days per month, that's actually kind of like statistically like par for the course. So you can't sort of assume that that won't happen. You have to have a backup plan. So The things I was going to mention is number one, discussing that with your spouse, that that's not, or your partner, that that's not solely your responsibility having birthed the child. It's just because you birthed the child or um, happen to be the female in the relationship. That's something that's really important to discuss with your partner. How are we going to do this? So that, you know, if you have an equitable kind of arrangement, then that means you can cut those expected days in half, which may be more doable. The second thing is to find another layer somewhere. Now, for some people, that's family. When we were in North Carolina, I didn't really have that option. But there are actually a few, and I feel like this is becoming more common, commercial solutions cropping up for this. There, Some workplaces actually offer some an emergency care program through like their employee assistance. So definitely look into that if you work for sort of a corporate environment. Or there are some private companies, if you're in a metropolitan area, there's one in our area where basically it is expensive. It's an expensive hourly rate, but as a fallback, knowing that, you know, with two hours notice, you could have someone help you for the day is incredibly valuable and can actually be somewhat cost savings if you're using that to avoid having to hire a full-time caregiver. So for example, my husband, one of the surgeons that he works with, she has three children all under the age of four. It's like crazy over there. Um, but, and she and her husband are actually both physicians as well. And I believe at least one or two of them got sick. She called this service and she did bring them with her to work for like 30 minutes, but then the babysitter met them there at work and took over from there and sort of, yes, it's, it's an outlay of cash, but since they were otherwise just in daycare, that made more sense to do it on that emergency basis rather than having someone like on retainer all the time. Like that worked for them. And there yeah. may be, as you're building up a sitter portfolio, which is one of the phrases we we use, that especially if you have daycare as your primary option, you need a, a sort of suite of backup sitters, partly for if you work late, for instance, somebody needs to be able to pick up the kid at daycare because there's going to be a hard stop on the daycare time. Um, you probably need people for date night or occasional weekend stuff. But then also having somebody who has during the day availability of some sort, maybe it's a neighbor who's retired or it could be a college student with a light class load. So, you know, maybe Mondays and Fridays, she's generally available. So if, if you need backup on those days, you have it. So, so there are ways you can make this work. And of course, if you live near family, that is great. It, it is Amazing how much money you can save on childcare by having family around for those just things on the margins, even if you're not using them as full-time care, which I'm not sure how many you know people want to do that, be your full-time caregiver, but they may be willing to say, oh, okay, well, you got stuck at work late. I can pick your kid up at daycare at 530 if you have a relative who could do that. Or you know, if grandma is nearby and the kid is just recovering from a slight fever and could spend the day there because they can't go back to daycare, that can help a lot. And I didn't necessarily know that going in. We weren't around family. So I had to build up that suite of sitters to cover those days when I did have something that I couldn't not do. But it was very stressful. And I I mean, one of the reasons we went to a nanny when our second child arrived is 
first because, you know, there's the cost effectiveness argument once you have two kids. Um, and the idea of getting two kids ready for daycare every day sort of made me go crazy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, somehow that does, that is one of those tasks where <laughs> the more people you have to get out the door, you know, even though we did preach about zero to one being the biggest transition, there is a multiplier factor in leaving the house for some reason. I hear you. And, and so we wound up hiring a, a nanny with the second, and then that cut down the number of days because obviously a nanny can get sick too, or have a reason she can't come, but there, it's more likely that she will be able to be there, especially if the kid has a, a mild illness that keeps them out of daycare, but that you don't have to be home dealing with it. Uh, and, and you guys wound up going that route then too. So talk yes, about that. Yes, we did. We did. So again, when we moved here, I just had one child and Annabelle was about 16 months. We started her in a daycare. It became very quickly evident it was not a good fit for us, that particular daycare. I think I mentioned the screens. There was also an episode where she came home with a bite, which is not a reason to leave a daycare whatsoever. I'm not advocating that. Children bite. That just happens. Children bite. But nobody knew about the bite. <laughs> that, that's the problem. Like you, should, like, you should get an incident uh, report if there is exactly. a bite and, or something like, like that. I mean, if no one noticed the bite happening, then that spoke to a level of supervision that didn't seem quite um, optimal. So um, we actually went on care.com. I was sort of in a panic at this point because I had already started work and we needed to do something. And I knew I kind of wanted to make the transition sooner rather than later. And actually, we did two things. We did find another daycare, which is where she ended up going to preschool until just a couple of days ago when we made the kindergarten transition. Uh, Then we also ended up, I, I, I think I told my husband, I was like, listen, I'm not due with baby number two until February, but it was like September But I'm like, I'm just going to put my feelers out because I kind of think this is something we should look for. And if we find the right person, then we can discuss. And I went through a million applications, care.com, again, not sponsored. There are other similar websites, but in our area seems to be one of the most heavily used. And I got a lot of people that wrote back, but many of them didn't sound serious. And it's it's really important if you're going to post an ad to kind of put very specific questions and requirements in your ad for them to respond to, because then that's an instant filter because you kind of know that if somebody is not reading your instructions in the email, then they're probably not going <laughs> to listen to listen anything to else later on either. And you also so. want to spell out, I mean, what you want, like, yes. don't be overly broad. I mean, it's, it's, if there are certain things that are going to be deal killers, then that's something you need to know. And, and certainly I have learned this. I have now hired four full-time nannies over the years um, in sequence. Uh, we're, we're on our fourth one now. And I know that I need somebody who has a lot of energy because I have a lot of very active kids. But something I'm also very clear upfront about is that I work from home and you have to be okay with that. And I think there are many nannies who want to be the master of the domain, as it were, when, when they're working, like they don't want another adult there per se, because the kids might get confused. They might not be fully in charge. They think, and, and I am clear that, you know, you're in charge. I'm staying in my office, I'm working, but it is going to be a team thing. And so people have to be okay with that. And I need to be upfront about that too. And another thing to be upfront with in your screening is if you are paying on the books, which you should, go ahead yes. and state that because unfortunately for some caregivers, that is a deal killer on their end and you don't want to hire those people. I mean, I would And it's put- very important to explain if it's a caregiver who hasn't done that before, the benefits to the caregiver of being on the books, such as they will get, you know, reemployment benefits um, once they stop working, you know, they're no longer going to have to be fearful. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, once you explain it to somebody, they usually will see the benefit. I will say that we had to kind of work that into our negotiation. It ended up working out very well, but yes, I think it's very important to be upfront about that. And and they, cause they accrue social security credits. So when they retire, they'll get social security benefits, like you said, unemployment insurance. So if for instance, you move and your nanny is not going to come with you. Suddenly they are unemployed. If you haven't been paying on the books, they have no access to unemployment insurance. Whereas if you have been paying on the books, then they do. And so they can collect benefits for whatever it is, the 26 weeks that a lot of states have. Uh, so it's it's a protection for them that 
uh, is quite important. Plus, it's just the law. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things and Sarah and I have both talked about is trying not to be cheap. Um, when it comes to childcare, a lot of people are always trying to save money on childcare. I get these, you know, requests of people trying to interview me for stories on how can I save money on childcare. I'm like, oh, well, there's no point in spending money just to spend money. But I would look at other places to save money in your life first, like live in a smaller house, drive an older car, like, you know, come on, this, this is not the right place to try and be as, you know, low budget as you can possibly go. So, so play, paying legally obviously is a big one of that. Getting as much care as you need. This, this is really something I, you know, people try to get away with as little as possible sometimes. And it's like, okay, you know, if you know that you're going to get stuck working late sometimes, just go ahead and hire for the extra hours. Like it's going to take a huge load off your mind. Or, or if you need two caregivers, which you might. I've talked to people who'd be like, well, I guess I just can't keep a good nanny. I'm like, well, how many hours are you expecting them to work? And it's that they're working 60 hours a week. It's, well, no wonder like you can't keep a bill. They're getting burnt out. Like if it's more than, I would say 50 hours, you should strongly consider uh, hiring a second caregiver, you know, if it's a part-time person or even just for a few hours a week, but having at least two people sort of in your sweet helps with staffing as it were, which I think both of us, you know, didn't really grow up thinking about those things. I, I don't know about you. No, it was not didn't. a part of my life growing up. And I, I know as we're talking about this, there are people listening to us who are having their, their little like privilege lights going on, which is fine. Like, yes, this, this comes from a place of having gone into careers that require a lot of hours and our husbands as well. And part of that with having children is that you need to then hire help. And so, yes, we can talk about privilege. And I think we're both very grateful that we are in a position to do this, but it's also just reality. I have had to learn that over time because I didn't have that growing up. I had, you know, my parents cobbled stuff together through various friends and family and they're switching off hours uh, and they made it work. I don't think it was very easy, but they definitely made it work. But then as I've become a parent myself and have seen what other people who maybe did grow up in a environment with more resources have done, I've been like, oh, I didn't even know you could do that. Like it didn't occur to me to hire a nanny when I had one kid because that just wasn't something I knew. I have seen people who've done such things as hire a weekend nanny, which I also had no idea you could do. Like you could hire somebody for hours when you weren't working. Like who knew that was an well, option? This, just, this was actually a choice. So we don't have, we do not have a regular weekend nanny, but actually I think three years into working, my husband and I felt like we were alternating, like working the weekends. So during residency, that's how we had to handle it. We just truly didn't have the resources at that time. So either I was going to work or he was going to work. And that way we didn't have to worry about backup care on the weekends, which is why daycare worked. But now we started out that way and then was like, wait, when do we get to be a family? Like we've worked a really long time to kind of get to this place where we have kids and we have jobs that aren't as quite as crazy as residency why are we never seeing each other? And we realized, ding, 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 weekend, childcare, and syncing up our call. And so we made that transition in the beginning of 2016. And you're right, it, it like literally didn't even occur to me, but I hope maybe hearing this helps others realize if you and your husband both have to work, you know, every other, every third, or even every fourth weekend, you can actually get some of your weekends back together by considering some childcare on the weekends. That's been an absolute, like a huge life improvement um, hack <laughs> for, for us. Yeah. Or even just having a few hours to relax or get, you know, errands done that you need to without having to bring three kids with you. Or if you have lots of kids and activities, we, we've sometimes hired sitters on weekends because one kid has a swim meet, another kid has a wrestling meet, and that way we don't have to take the two little kids with us as each parent is covering a sporting event. That's key. I, a couple other things, just practical. If, if you've got a lot of travel in your life, um, you may need to negotiate overnight rates. Obviously, you got to hire somebody that is willing to stay overnight and then you know negotiate overnight coverage, what that rate will be. Um, well, one very elegant solution for that, and I did want to mention this, is an au pair. Um, and I have a number of friends, especially with school-aged 
children who participate in the au pair program where you have somebody come from another country and they're able to work to up to 45 hours of childcare a week, but you can arrange that however you want. So if the kids are in school, an au pair can be perfect for those overnights and sort of unpredictable travel schedules. Well, one thing I would say with that though, actually, (laughs) is that there are certain visa requirements on the, the au pair thing. Most of them are actually not supposed to stay overnight with the kids. Really? Yes. Oh, see, legally, I did not know that. Legally, they are Very not allowed to stay with children who are under three months of age. They are not allowed to stay overnight alone with the children. That's part of the. Uh, I know those things are. That's constantly violated. Thank you. I bet the, I bet listeners didn't know that either. Listeners did I not know never that. Never heard it, that. As you're sponsoring the whatever it's J something visa for your au pair, they are not supposed to be overnight. So it's it's unfortunately it's not a good solution for that. I will say that's probably. No one has ever been like prosecuted for that that I know of because most people would not. But you know, you you want to follow the law. You want to follow the rules. Well, it might help. It might help if the like if one partner was working. Like not if both parents are traveling, but let's say in our case, if my husband was going to get home unpredictable hour, like at eight or nine p.m. maybe but I was going to be away, Yeah. then it would, might be very helpful. But be. I guess you're right. So both parents going away, that would not work. Yeah. But obviously, if it's if it's usually just one parent who's traveling, that can be very helpful because then the hours can be wherever they are. So a lot of people have found that great. They are younger. And so sometimes that's really fun for the kids to have like a older brother or sister. One thing I would say with that, to be careful though, is that it is an older brother or sister in the sense that these are young people yes, who are they between are young. <laughs> 18, 18 and 23 years of age, which means that whatever your 19-year-old daughter would do that would drive you crazy is something that your 19-year-old au pair might do <laughs> that will drive you crazy or get into trouble doing. I mean, I've definitely heard stories of au pairs winding up you know, unexpectedly pregnant, for instance, and heading home um, or, you know, having car accidents because they're new drivers or, you know, just things like that. So keeping in mind that these people are still, in many cases, teenagers, they are away from home for what might be the first time. Many are wonderful, but many are working through those issues. So it's something to just keep in mind. There are upsides and downsides of all forms of care. So because of that, we have not gone the au pair route. Instead, what we've done is our full-time nanny is willing to work overtime um, overnight if we ask for it ahead of time. And so that's been a really great solution with us. The kids love her. She's got the routine down. And again, because she's our, our full-time employee, that's just she, she builds that into her life. She doesn't have other things that she's planning on doing uh, Monday through Thursday uh, so, so she can take those hours on. Um, so we found that that's really great. I think in general, treating your caregivers like real employees, because they are, it goes a long way toward making people be good employees. So again, paying legally. I use I use GTM payroll. Who do you use, by the way? Actually, we do a homegrown thing that I learned from my <laughs> one of my family members who is used to having household employees. So we actually file it by ourselves. It's not that terrible, but you do need to have an accountant kind of help you set everything up. Yeah, because you'll need an employer ID to start out with. um, Yes, because so you can be mailing checks to the treasury as the employer. (laughs) I mean, that's that's one of one of the things withholding taxes and all that that you have to do. Yes, well, and you can do that through. So it's different for you because you're self-employed. But if you work for a company, you can actually just have that additional money withheld fairly easily. You just contact you know whoever's in charge of payroll and you say, oh, I'd like X amount of dollars held um, monthly or quarterly, and then that that can account for it. So it is doable, yeah. but just make sure you get the advice of people who truly know what they're doing. Cause call an accountant, not just us. <laughs> but yeah, we went with GTM because they were, again, this is non-sponsored, but they are relatively affordable and then they handle all of it. And one of the things I have found is that we get between New York and Pennsylvania, maybe Miami is more employer friendly. I don't know, but I swear I get some sort of angry letter from tax authorities every couple months when I've lived in New York and lived in Pennsylvania. And it's almost always nothing. Like it turns out there is nothing. It's just that they sent this letter out to everyone for unknown reasons. I don't know, maybe to see if they can come up with back taxes from people who owe it. But of course, if you don't owe back taxes, you're like, well, what's going on? Like, why am I getting this angry letter? It helps to have a service for us because then they can tell me, oh, that's nothing. Um, so I've found that very helpful as well. And, and so I've, I've been glad to, to have that. So yeah, those are, those are some of the, the things we've 
I mean, it's really been a growing experience. The other thing is that, you know, no situation lasts forever. We've certainly, I mean, we've had wonderful yes. nannies, but there, we know that in general, after two or three years, they decide to move on. That's to be expected. I, I've never felt like I wanted someone to move on, which is good. Yeah. But, you know, people want to do other things sometimes or they move or, you know, so well, that, that's life. I was going to mention uh, with respect to the no situation lasting forever is that it is expensive. It's it's very expensive to have multiple layers of childcare in place, but it's not permanent. So, you know, when you're thinking about it with respect to your budget, do know that this is a somewhat temporary expense. I mean, once you have multiple school age kids or kids that are old enough that can actually you know, stay in the house by themselves, that does eventually happen. You know, you may find your outlay of costs to be much less. So, I mean, I, I think I remember thinking of this as like, oh, when I was in residency, like how, how could I possibly like, you know, pay that forever? But the truth is, you know, you're not. I'm sure that means other expenses are going to come up, but um, like you won't be paying for college and childcare, hopefully simultaneously, unless your kids are really far. <laughs> You'd have to have a really far age. Yeah. But even for some people, like knowing that you're going to have um, the multiple layers when your children are prior to kindergarten, and then maybe after that, considering something more flexible and less expensive, like an au pair or outside daycare it could work. But for those young childhood years, like those intense, like zero to five years, you know, I hate to say it makes sense to borrow from your future self. But in this particular case, if you feel like you can make those numbers work, it actually may make sense. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things to think about with this first is don't charge the cost of childcare solely against your own salary. If you are co-parenting with someone, it is a joint expense. And I know that the mindset people go through is like, oh, I'm only charging, especially if you are the lesser earning party in a couple, which many women for whatever reason happen to be. The mindset is to charge the whole childcare expense against the lower earning party. And then for many cases, women are not making that much more after taxes than what their childcare costs would be. And so that can be very discouraging. You're like, well, why am I even working? If, again, if you don't want to go back to work, that's great. But I would not use that as the argument because A, it's a joint expense. So it's split between you and your partner if you are co-parenting with someone. Second, it's kind of like saying, well, I'm not going to go to college because for a couple of years, I'll be spending more than I'm taking in. I mean, this is an investment in your lifelong earning potential. Eventually, if you stay in the workforce, your salary will rise and your childcare costs will fall. So like an economist would not look at this as a point in time sort of calculation. It's really, you have to amortize it over your entire life. And there's very good evidence that women who take a couple years out of the workforce never regain their earning potential. Um, one of the numbers from an economist named Sylvia Ann Hewlett, who's looked at a lot of this, is that taking three years out winds up in a 37% reduction in overall earning, lifetime earning potential. So that's a huge hit, right? Viewed that way, like a couple years of paying for full-time childcare is, it's an investment. is an investment. It's an investment. No, I've had colleagues, you know, because I'm in, I'm in pediatric endocrinology, which yes, is a physician, but it's not a terribly high paying field. And I've, I had a colleague make that exact argument, which was like, you know, after taxes, this is like all of my salary, et cetera. But yeah, you have to look at the short term and the long term and what do you want to be doing? And what is, what is your, you know, career trajectory going to look like 10, 15 years from now? And I agree with you. You have to look at it as an outlay from both parties, not from your own. Like that is just not how the math works. So um, <laughs> I think that's a really important point. Well, we could go on about this all day, but I know you people don't want to listen to a podcast forever. It's got to end at some point. Yeah, this has got to be like a long this, commute. Yeah, well, this <laughs> Sorry. Is a long commute. So maybe you get this on the way home as well. But this is a topic we'd love to talk about. If you have questions about this, feel free to send them to us. You can email me, lvandercam at yahoo.com. Sarah, let's talk our love of the weeks now. Obviously, we both love our childcare setups at this point. Yes, I do. But I'm super in love with my childcare super setup. Super in but love with it. But your other I, love this week. I uh, my current love is um this is really basic, and I feel like kind of like duh about this one. But I'm kind of loving the library right now. <laughs> I never used the library at big admission of guilt when we lived in North Carolina. And it took me a while to kind of figure out the system here. But um, my husband has turned me on to reserving books. So I don't really have time or maybe I just don't have the willingness to go in and like browse around. But you can actually just reserve whatever you want online and pick it up just like you were, you know, going to a store and getting free loot. And it's like, 
we actually in Miami Beach have this mobile library, which I don't know if this is in other communities, but they'll they'll drive around to the locations near you and you can actually deliver the books you've ordered to your mobile library. So I feel like I have this like free book delivery service that should have been really, really obvious that I am just now learning to enjoy. And we use it for kids' books too, because, you know, you don't necessarily want, I certainly love buying books. Um, I'm not against it. If there's I'm a book all that in I'm... favor of buying books, right? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm like, this is a, but, and, and the truth is there are many books that like I'm invested in and I want to own like a favorite author, Laura, I own, I think I own like all of your books. So if that makes you feel any better. That's great. Um... I highly support that. You can, all, everyone yeah. can just buy my books. You can borrow the other ones. <laughs> and when it's reference, especially you, you, you know, you often want to own it or if you want to pass it to friends, but when it's just like trying out some new fiction or if it's kids books that you kind of want to have a rotating selection, try out your library if you haven't, because you may find it as useful as I have. That is a great <laughs> idea. Libraries are wonderful and it's a great way to entertain kids too. Like if, you know, you've got them on a rainy Saturday, bring them to the kids library in your community. It's a great way to spend some time and then have them have something to do when they come home. So I was going to do a different love of the week, but now that we're on the book topic, I'm going to, I'm going to do my, my book love of the week, which is that Ooh. I've for several years been reading the Modern Mrs. Darcy blog. <gasps> Me too. Which Sarah has a <laughs> I blog. Love it. We both love this blog. It's Anne Bogle is a, a woman who lives in Kentucky, I want to say, but she is a reads everything. And of course, now it's become her job to read everything, but her book recommendations are awesome. She will put posts which are like, 10 books that are over 600 pages that you won't mind reading or something like that, or, or 10 page, 10 books that will make you want to book a trip. And so there's just these lists of books. And so if you're trying to figure out, well, what should I read next? Which by the way, is the name of her podcast. What should I read next? These are great recommendations. And I have almost never gone wrong from her descriptions. I read some of her descriptions and I'm like, oh, that's really not going to be a book for me. But if I read her description and it sounds like a book for me, it always is. So I would, I would recommend that if, you know, listen to what should I read next or read Modern Mrs. Darcy and then get your list, put it on hold at your library. <laughs> and maybe even if you're like Sarah, the library will come to you with these titles and you'll be reading a lot more. We're going to do a episode later on how to find more time to read. So that'll be another one you'll have to listen for. So this brings us to the Q&A section. Which Sarah, we've got a, we've got a question about mental load this week. Do you do you have that? Yeah, one? and I don't know if we can fully do it justice in this segment, but we can at least start. The question said, "My question is about the mental load of your job. How do you check out of work mode when you're home?" I'm not in medicine, but as a teacher. Thank you. I love teachers, especially this time of year. My job is pretty all-consuming September through June. Even if I'm not at work, I'm thinking about it. How could that lesson go better? How could I help that class work better today? Am I giving enough feedback? This is my first school year with a child of my own, and I worry about this. I don't have an easy answer for you. I do think some people are much more natural compartmentalizers than others. And I think over the years, I have sort of moved towards pretty heavy compartmentalizing, both because I find I'm more effective in, in in whatever realm I'm in, but if I'm not thinking too much about the other one, and because it's kind of just more enjoyable for me. Um, and for me, my biggest strategy with this is my common strategy for a lot of things, but writing things down, planning. So if I have a concern like that at work, like, you know, if something's bothering me, I'll write down in my calendar for the next day, a little checkbox that's like discuss with office manager, this X concern, because once it's in physical form somewhere that I can see that I'm going to handle it later, I'm not going to be thinking about it the whole time I'm doing the kid's bedtime routine. If I don't do that, if I don't have something to kind of release that idea that's hanging over my head, then it comes back to me and floats back to me and floats back to me. So for me, planning really, really, and I guess sort of scheduling, scheduling time to be frustrated or fret about different things has really helped me separate the realms and it's like a necessary survival thing for me. Yeah, I would agree with that a lot, making notes of a time when you're going to think about it. But I would also suggest possibly viewing this from a different perspective too, which is it's not a bad thing to be enough into your job that you want to think about it. Like I love that this teacher is saying, how can I help my class work better? How can I make that lesson go better? Like what feedback do I have for myself about how I presented it? That's what makes you better at your job over time. And and so how much worse if you weren't thinking about these things, right? Like if you could just like 
oh, I don't care about my job, you know, any more than, than what I've done on any given day. So I would say if you have it from that perspective, write down when you're going to think about it, or maybe give yourself a little bit of time at night as sort of, this is my thinking about how I could improve on the day, maybe writing in a journal of like, this went well, um, these are some things I'd like to do better. I think having that reflective time uh, can also help you keep a, a good perspective on it. Or maybe sort of blending the two, See if you can find a time when you're not going to think about it. So let it ruminate the rest of the time. Like Laura is saying, like maybe if it's healthy for you to kind of be there, then that's okay. But then maybe say to yourself, well, but except for between the hours of, you know, seven and eight 30, I'm going to be fully, you know, focused on something else. So kind of a combination approach. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this. This has been episode four on childcare and other such things. And we will be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.